Well, it's good to see you all here this evening. Excuse me. I have for right then and there, it just got a little warm for me. But glory be to God. Amen? Amen. You know, as I, I, I sat listening to Pastor one Sunday, a question all of a sudden dropped into me. And the question that dropped into me was, from where did it come? And two things struck me about the question. One, the tone of voice of the question, and because the tone was a little exasperated. Like, where did that come from? You know, where did you get that? It was that kind of tone in the question. And then it was like, I then asked, well, it, What's it? What's it? And what the second thing that struck me was the explanation of the it. And the it in this particular case, the explanation in this case of it is the mentality that many believers carry around concerning poverty and being poor. And the question was, where did that mentality come from? Where do we get it from that, you know, we're supposed to be poor or we have a poverty mentality? So I said to myself, I said, well, let's, let's take some definitions here and we'll look up some information. And the definition for poverty is lack of money or material possessions, want, or poor quality, and it is used 15 times in the Word of God. The definition for poor is the same as poverty, except it arouses pity. So not only is it a physical condition for people, then for other people it arouses pity. You feel sorry for the poor. And mentality is a mode or a way of thinking. It's the way we think. So again, from where does it come? Where are we getting this mentality from? Because I'm going to take you into the word of God later on, and we find it nowhere there. We find it nowhere there. If you look through the word of God, I was amazed and astounded. I couldn't find it at any time. There were poor people in the Bible, and they were poor for a number of reasons. Proverbs warns about poor, being poor, as a result of your own actions. You know, you lazy, <laughs> you don't want to work, or when you get to work, you don't want to do what they ask you to do. You only want to do as little as possible and then go home. You know, so it talks about that kind of poor, and then there's a poor that can come with natural causes. Like you get floods and famine that can come along and pestilence and destroy a crop for a farmer, and all of a sudden he becomes poor. Or the economy goes down and you're swept up in it. But, and while you see examples of this in the word, the mentality of it, meaning the way you think about it, is not really demonstrated anywhere that I can find. And, you know, Pastor always talks about, you know, teaching and demonstration of things. So I was like, okay. So when we get to the end, you know, it's like, okay, since you don't see it demonstrated, that means you really shouldn't be thinking that way in the Word of God. But many of us do. And so when I ask myself, from where does it come, it can come from others. It can come from others. Others who put more value on the things they have than the things that you have. Oh, my car is better than your car. Your car gets you from A to B. My car gets me from A to B. <laughs> In this heat, my car's got air conditioning. Your car's got air conditioning. However, people will put value on your car versus their car. 
okay, in order to make themselves feel better and place a label on you that you are poor. You lack something. Your car lacks something. Well, it might lack the price tag that somebody else's has, but, you know, for the most part, four tires, steering wheel, radio, you know, get you from point A to point B. So they place a value on it. The other thing is that they consider the number of things that you have. You know, okay, I got more laptop computers in my house than you have in yours. Well, how many does one person need? You know, I think for me personally, I'm just too much connected. I don't know why I have some of the stuff that I have. You know, it got to the point where it was like, okay, we need something, and it was like, eh, you really don't need that. You know, I mean, I live alone. I'm single, guys, and I could have a laptop in every room in my house. Now, that's just plain crazy. Don't, you know, and some of them were gifts. Don't get me wrong. They were, two of them were gifts, and I'm very appreciative that people thought of me in that way, and they wanted to bless me. I'm, I'm really glad. But do I really need a netbook in the bedroom and the, 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 the pad in the kitchen and the laptop in the living room? <laughs> All that's missing is something for the bathroom. Glory be to God. <laughs> but I'm just saying the number of things. So if you don't have the same number of things that they have, then, you know, you're poor. And then the other thing is the type of thing. You know, is yours the next newest and the greatest model that's out there? You know, do you have an Android versus an iPhone? Do you have a, what is that thing, the iPad versus the netbook? Do you have a Nook versus the Kindle? Types of things. So others will try to say that you are poor or you lack something because the thing that you have may not be the latest and the greatest. Still does the same thing that everybody else's does, mind you. But it doesn't have the name Kindle Fire, Barnes and Noble Nook, you know, or Galaxy. What is that thing? Galaxy Netpad or Notepad or whatever. You know, does it do what I need it to do? You know, sometimes you hear people say, it, it, it lets me answer and make a phone call. I'm good. Because originally, wasn't that all cell phones were supposed to do? You know, and I know you, you, you techie people back there going, oh, no, Ethel, don't go there. But, hey, that's all it was supposed to do, to allow you to make a phone call and answer a phone call. And at one point in time, it was just for emergencies. Now, oh, glory be to God, leave the cell phone home and we can't function. We got to go back home. We late for work. You know, the whole nine yards. You know, I left mine at my mother's one time. And it stayed there. I left it on the dining room table. I got halfway home, realized that's where it was, and I went, oh. My mother said, that thing was buzzing and beeping all day long because it was my work cell phone. I sent out a note to my folks and said, listen, I left my cell phone home. You need me? Call me on a regular phone. Call me on the, on the dial-up or email me, you know? But my mother was like, that thing just buzzes and beeps all day. I said, yes, it does. And if they can't get me on the landline, they call the cell. You know, can't answer fast enough. But that's what will happen is that people will say you lack something or you're poor because you don't have the latest and greatest. The other place that this mentality can come from, well, before we get to that, I heard a story years ago about this woman. She was a single parent. She had two little girls, and they attended a church. And they announced in the church that they were going to take up an offering in about a month's time for this family in the church that was poor. And the little girls were excited about being able to sow into this particular project. And they found 
stuff to do to earn money. They sold lemonade. They sold cookies. And they gathered up all of this money. And these two little girls were able to pull together about $25. And on that Sunday, they went to church, and they were excited and happy that they could put this $25 in. Well, lo and behold, when they left, they were handed an envelope that had their $25 and $1.50 from the congregation. <laughs> Who's poor here? Who's poor here? But the, other, the congregation had decided that this woman and her children were poor. So poor can come from others. The other place it can come from is directly from you. The value that you place on your things, oh, mine is not as good as his. Mine isn't as nice or didn't cost as much as theirs. My house isn't as big as theirs. Well, you got one, right? Or I should say you have one, right? You're not living in a cardboard box somewhere, right? So how is it that your house has no value? And again, the number of things that you have. Oh, we only have, I love this. We only have one car. Hello? You have one, right? You're not on the bus. And let me tell you, I've been on public transportation in Philadelphia. <laughs> Take it from me. If you have a car, you're doing very, very well. Because public transportation in the city can make you ugly. It can make you ugly. It really can, especially in the wintertime. Summertime, too, I guess, but in the wintertime. But, you know, people say, I, I only have one, we only have one car. Okay. But, again... Here we are. You are placing that value. My house is only two bedrooms. My house is only this or, you know, my is only that. So you have placed this mentality on the thing. And then the types of things. It's the same thing. It's just the flip side of where is it coming from? Is it coming from somebody else or is it coming from you? And I think personally it's worse when it's coming from you because when it's coming from you, you wind, it winds up defining who you are. I only have one car. I only live in a small house. Like that's a bad thing. So it can come from others and it can come from you. And we need to guard against that. We definitely need to guard against that. So I then said, okay, because it's going to come, guys. I'm not saying that it will not come. It, that comparison thing, I don't know, it seems to be human nature to be looking at yourself in light of someone else, in light of somebody else, in light of your situation, in light of your circumstances. It's just, it just seems like it is a natural thing for it to happen to us. So then I said, well, if it's a natural thing for us, what should we do about it? And what we need to do about it is we need to renew our way of thinking. We need to renew how we think. And Romans 12, 2, is, it tells us in Romans 12, 2 that, oh, it's a And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need to renew our mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We need to be about renewing how we think, changing our mode or way of thinking. That instead of comparing what we have to someone else and finding it lacking, 
We need to be thanking God that we have it. Amen? Because there are people out there that don't have it. Literally do not have it. Would love to have it. And, you know, it's funny because when I was thinking about this, and it didn't have anything to do with material things, it had to do with weight. (laughs) I know. I know. But, you know, it's like I personally think I'm fat. And, you know, just go with me on this one. I personally think I'm fat. And then somebody would come up to me and say, you know, I would love to look like you. I look down and I go, really? But again, it's what am I comparing myself to? Or who am I comparing myself to? Versus saying, you know what? You're made in the image of God, period, end of discussion. Now, that may not mean physically. You know, it means physically in the fact that I have two arms, two legs, eyes, nose, mouth, ears, that kind of thing. But the rest of that is uniquely me. And he made me uniquely me. And it's okay. Yeah, there are things that I can improve and want to improve and will improve and all that other stuff. But I am wonderfully, fearfully made. Amen? And that's what I need to do about it. I need to renew my mind about it. We need to renew our mind about what we have. Amen? Find out what God says about the it, and then believe and say. Now, in this case, the it is a poor or poverty mentality. The it for you can be anything. I'm sure that if I gave you guys a couple of minutes and said, define your own it, you would come up with something else other than a poverty mentality, because you may not have that, you know? But, you know, when I thought about the it, I was like, you could put health in there, you know? This whole thing about where did this, I need to be sick. And I heard, and it might have even been Pastor or Brother Joe McGee said, if you believe that God made you sick, why are you going to the doctors? If, if it is from God, and it is his desire for you to be sick. Why are you going against the will of the almighty God and going to the doctor and trying to get you some medicine? Think about it that way. Same thing. If you think some of these negative things from God are from God, why are you trying to change them? They're from God. They're from your heavenly father. In other words, they can't be if you are trying to change them. Amen. Amen. So we need to find out what God says about the thing and then believe and say. I want you to turn with me if you have your Bibles or you can look up here at the screen. We're going to go into we're going to go to Joseph. Now, you all know the story of Joseph. It's it's a fabulous, fabulous example of many, many things. And we know it says now Joseph had a dream. And he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. All right? So from others, we're getting this, we're getting attitude. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, that's it. Okay. I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? Now, Joseph has heard 
from God through these dreams. He is believing and saying what God says about his situation, about his future. All right? That's what he's doing here. This is what we need to do. We need to believe, find out what God says, and believe and say it. And he's saying it to his brothers. His brothers hate him. They don't want to hear it. He told it to his father. His father's upset. Everybody is upset with Joseph. But as we go further into this thing and find out, he holds on to this. And that's what we need to do as well. As we go a little further in this and we get into chapter 39, it says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And you know how they threw him in a pit and, you know, and all that other stuff. And he sold. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now, how many of you think that Joseph has anything? I mean, you know, he's been sold to Potiphar. So he's a slave. Slaves have anything? Have any material possessions? But it says here that the Lord was with Joseph. And that's what we need to believe and to say that the Lord is with us. Because he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. That's what the Lord has promised to do for each of us is to prosper what is in our hands. You know, it's funny, as I pulled this all together and it all came together for me, a lot of this is in what Pastor has been teaching here of late. And I was amazed by that. I shouldn't have been, but I was. Because what this scripture right here, Pastor used, just, I think it was Sunday, I think it was Sunday. And it says, whatever is in your hand, God has promised to prosper it. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had, he put under his authority. Joseph is a slave. And things are prospering because God is with him. And so he found favor and he served him. And Joseph served him, when you look into this, into this a little more, he served him with everything he had. He gave it his all. Because that was what type of man he was. He knew what God had said in the dreams. He knew he, who he was supposed to be. But I'm a slave right now. That doesn't matter. It does not matter. What matters is what God said. I'm going to see myself the way God sees me. God sees me as being this, and that's what I'm going to be. Even in this position right here, that's what I'm going to be. That should be our mentality. What does God see? What does God say about me? Amen? So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of this house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. So, you know, when, you, when you're sitting at that job and you're wondering why you're there, please know. That And I tell my coworkers this sometimes, y'all need to thank me. <laughs> and they look at me all strange and everything, but I go, y'all need to thank me. You know, because everybody swore we weren't going to get any bonus. Well, we did. I said, y'all need to thank me. Because my Lord is going, you know, you remember how the Egyptians left, I mean, the Israelites left Egypt 
with all kinds of stuff. I'm going to leave FedEx with all kinds of stuff. <laughs> I'm going to leave there with all kinds of stuff. I know it. I know it. You know, not that, not that FedEx was Egypt or any of that, but I'm going to go out of there with a bang. And they're going to be talking about me for a while. You remember that Ethel Waters that used to be here? She left here with a bang. Because that's what my God will do for me. Because that's what he promised and that's what he said. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know that he had except for the bread which he ate. That's how much confidence he had in Joseph. He goes, I, I'm okay leaving this. I don't even have to know. I don't even have to check up on this because I know it's in good hands. That's what we, that's the vision of ourselves that we need to get, that our boss doesn't have to check up on us because he knows that it's going to get done because he put it in our hands. He knows it's going to get done on time because we have gone to the word of God. We have found out what God says, and then we believed it. We say it. And, of course, on the other end of it, that's what we do. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me. You know, Joseph was a good-looking guy. You know, and she, you know, she decided. But see, Joseph was a man of integrity, but he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God. A lot of things we look at or a lot of things that we have or we're thinking about and things like that, we may not come out and say it, guys, but it is against God. You know, we may not say, I'm doing something against God, but everything lines up to the contrary of that statement. Actions, feelings, whatever, they can line up against there. So it was that she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out in a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. What I think is amazing about this is that this is the garment of many colors. He still had it, I think. I don't know, but I think, because it was pretty distinctive. The garment was pretty distinctive. And I'm like, how does he still have this garment? How does he still have the coat? I said, but there was something distinctive about the garment that Joseph had that when they saw it, they knew it was his. He didn't look like all the rest of the servants, evidently, but they knew it was his. All right, um, so it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confirmed, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph. So now we've gone from slave to prisoner. We haven't gone up yet. We haven't gone up yet. We've gone from slave to prisoner. Yet and still, Joseph's mentality of who he is and who God has made him has not changed, has not shifted, not one little bit. And you can tell that because then Joseph becomes the chief prisoner. 
But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Joseph knew what God said, believed it, said it, and operated in it. No matter where he was, whether he was a slave in Potiphar's house, whether he was a prison a prisoner in the prison. He continued to apply the principles and the things that he knew to do. And now all of a sudden, he over the prisoners. That is, that's got to be unheard of. Could you imagine that today? You can't even imagine it today. But it was how Joseph operated. To me, Joseph is also a tremendous example of what James says. James 1 verse 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. You know, to me, he counted it all joy. Because for him, hey, this is nothing. Can we count it all joy when our checkbook is screaming at us? When the electric company is looking for their money and it seems like there's no job in sight for us or they messed up the paycheck that week and you needed it, can you count it all joy? It says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing. Sometimes we have to have patience. In, in one of the teachings, you know, Pastor was saying, when you, throw, when you sow seed, you don't go out the next day and have that crop you were looking for. It takes a little time. So it may take a little time, but have patience and let it have its perfect work because it's doing something in you. It may be, in fact, testing something in you, but it's doing something in you. The fact that you're having to wait. Maybe it's strengthening you in order to handle what's coming down the pike. But let patience have its perfect work and not get impatient with it. David, in 1 Samuel Excuse me while I gather my thoughts here. <laughs> and David in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give you the car give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That's what you need to say sometimes to stuff that's coming against you. When you get that, oh, I am in lack because of something someone has said or because of what I am comparing my stuff to, to someone else, you need to say to them, I'm going to give your head to the Lord. Cut off the head. Cut off the head, the body's going to die. The body of that thing will die. We need to be like David when he said that. He says, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. I come at this thing in the name of the Lord. Because we need to know what has God said 
about it and say that. Abraham, in Romans 4, he therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. God has said something. God said to Abraham, I have made you a father of many nations. We all know that, you know, Abraham had some issues with that at first. But then he got hold to that thing. He got hold to that thing. And it says, in the presence of him who he believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Verse 18, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. So Abraham doesn't care what his body is saying. He doesn't care what anybody is saying. What he cares about is what God said. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't consider his checkbook. He didn't consider what anybody else said. I'm not going to consider even what I have to say. Because like I said, you know, that poverty mentality can come from you, inside of you. You need to tell yourself, be quiet, shut up, go someplace and sit down. Because you're not helping me here. You are not helping this situation. Paul says, I bring every thought, every thought into captivity. We have to. We need to wrangle them things sometimes because they will take you down a rabbit hole and for you to get out will take all that you have because you can convince yourself this is not going to happen for me. That promotion is not going to happen for me. I'm going to stay at this income level right here, right now for this, for the rest of my life. We're never getting out. You need to wrangle that thought. It says that Abraham didn't even consider his body. And like, you know, we said about his name, father of many, father of many, father of many. If you need to change your name, change your name so that when you hear it, you hear what God says. Amen? Did you hear what God says? He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. That's how convinced we need to be and know what God has said about the situation. The widow in Mark 12, verse 42 then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. I think that's how you pronounce that. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty, but in all that she had, her whole livelihood, showing great faith. Showing great faith. You know, sometimes we get down and we've got this mentality where, you know, we've got this, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm poor. I don't have it. I am lacking something, so I can't give anything. I want you to know that one of the facts about the poor that I found out as I studied through this is that God made no allowances for them. They, too, had to abide by the laws that God set out. You know, we got poor people now, give to me, give to me, give to me, give to me. And they'll give to the, you know, I'm going to give out, I'm going to give out, I'm going to give out of what I do get, you know. It's all about giving to me. And the Lord never, never set it up that way. He never set it up that way. He has a special place in his heart for those who are poor. Don't get me wrong. 
but he never ever told them that they were not under the same things as everybody else if you're a believer. So if you're poor, you're supposed to tithe on what you receive. If you're out there begging on the street <laughs> and you're a believer and you're going to some church, you better be trying to find your 10%. You better be trying to find your 10%. Now, a lot of them probably aren't coming to the church, but, you know, as we are light, they will. They will as we minister and say, hey, we know where you can find a better life. Come on in, you know. But until they get beyond that, they need to know. They're expected to tithe as well and on occasion, where possible, to sow. And I have, <laughs> I have a number of additional scriptures that I wanted to share with you guys and just to give you, to let you know what God says about certain things. And I'm going to run through these pretty quickly. I'm not sure that Corey will be able to keep up with me. You got me? All right. 3 John 1, 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. These are promises. These are promises from your father to you. All right? And when I get to one of the others, you'll see what I mean by that. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. We need to do what God says to do. Now, we can't expect for our minds to be renewed without renewing it on the word of God, without finding out what God says about it. All right? We can't reason amongst ourselves. We can't reason in our own head because when we start to reason in our own head, man, can that tend you someplace you don't want to go. I have occasionally reasoned in my own head and back to a circle and wind up in, back in the same place I was in and wondered, wait a minute, and spent, you know, hours, hours doing it. Where those hours could have been done, used for something much more productive than that. First Kings 2.3, And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do, and wh wherever you turn. How many of you want to prosper? How many of you want to have enough to give into every good work? I know I raised my hand. I raised my hand on that one. Well, it says, keep the charge of the Lord your God. Job 36, 11, if they obey and serve him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasure. Psalms 1.1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Don't let others de de determine who you are. Don't let them put a label and describe you. And so that you wind up walking in their counsel. Nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he abides day and night. Psalms 1-3, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Matthew 7-11, if you then being evil, and this is what I was talking about, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Why is it that we are believing that our father wants to make us lack something? That our father wants to make us sick. Our father wants to make us poor. It says that you being evil, <laughs> you being evil, 
give good gifts. But yet and still, we want to say that our Father in heaven is going to bring poverty, going to bring depression, oppression. He's going to bring it, and we're supposed to raise our hands and thank our God for it. I heard somebody say this week that God took Trayvon Martin. I hate when I hear that. I don't care who it is when they say God took somebody. God didn't take anybody. Oh, that's wrong. He, he and Enoch. He took Enoch. That's the only one I know. That's the only one I know. Moses went up in the mountain and didn't come back. But God isn't in the, you being evil, you being evil going to take your kid? You being evil going to hurt your kid? Come on. Come on. Put it through the word of God and see if it lines up with his promises that he's given for you. Matthew 21, 22, and whatever things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. I know the believing part is hard. But how many of you came in here and sat down on a chair? I mean, you sat in it, right? You didn't test it to see if it was going to hold you. You believed that that chair was going to hold you up and you sat right down in it. You walked into your house, you flicked on the switch, and you knew the lights were going to come on. You believe that. You believe that. That's where we need to get to. You get to that renewing your mind, saying what God says over and over. That's what meditation is. You know, you know they talk about worry being corrupted meditation and how we can worry a problem. Well, we need to be meditating or Worrying, and I hate to say that because it's a negative connotation. We need to be worrying the word of God, the promises of God that he's made to us. Jesus said to them in Mark 9, 23, Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. God wants us to get to the point where his word and promises are our thoughts and words. They are to be more real to us than what is being said by others, by our situations, or by the circumstances that surround us. And in closing, I want to read something to you that I found in the Dake's Bible. And it has to do with John 15, 7. Ask what you will. The promise is ask what you will. Plainly teaching that answered prayer is up to the child of God as to what he wants. This is in perfect harmony with promises of both testaments. A true Christian can get what he wants as well as what he needs. And he lists a whole host of scriptures for that. A prayer saying, if it be thy will, concerning anything God has already promised and therefore has already made it clear that it is in his will, providing we ask in faith, not, nothing wavering, is really a prayer of unbelief. That's why it's important to know what God says. What has he promised? So that you don't pray it in unbelief, that you're praying it in belief. I know what I know what I know. That's what I tell my kids all the time. What I'm teaching is so that you know what's in the word of God so that you know what you know what you know so that when something comes against you or someone comes against you, you know what you know what you know. And if you don't know, then understand the character of your God and say, hey, I may not know that now, but I know the character of my God. I know the character of my father. Amen? So if you know the character of your father, when things come to come against you, you can come against those and cut off its head. 
and go, I'm done with that. And you know it can't come back because his head is cut off. Amen? He goes on to say, uh, God has already promised, clearance his words. Yeah, it's a prayer of unbelief. It is like saying, I know you have already promised and you have made it very clear by your word that is your will, but do you really mean what you say? How many of you are gutsy enough to say to God out loud, out loud, do you really mean that? Do you really mean what you say? Well, sometimes while we may not say it out loud, we're actually, that's what we're saying. That's what we're saying. So we need to make it so that the promises and the things that God has said in his word about us are our reality. It's our mentality. So instead of a poverty mentality, you have a prosperous mentality, that you have the mentality that you lack nothing, that every good and perfect gift that comes from God is for you and you can have it. You need to make that your reality, that it is so clear to you that nothing can shake you. You don't have to test it by seeing if that chair is going to hold you. You don't have to tentatively start your car, you know, if you're wondering if there's any gas in that thing. You know, is it going to go today? No, you get out there and you zoom. And when it doesn't start, that's when you're surprised. You go, ooh, wait. How did that happen? That's the reality that we need to have about the promises of God, to be that sure that when we ask and we believe, we receive. Amen? Father God, we thank you tonight. We thank you, Father, that more and more of your promises are becoming real to us. As your word says that your promises are yea and amen. So, Father God, we are going to find out what you say, believe what you say, do the things you've called us to do, and that is going to be our reality. That is going to be our mode of thinking, Father. We're going to think in the spiritual realm. We're going to think as you think, Father God, because your word says that we have the mind of Christ Jesus. We are able to do this because you said that we can do this. And Father God, you are real. You are real, Father. And we acknowledge that. We acknowledge it to the world. We acknowledge it to others, ourselves, our situations, and our circumstance. And Father God, you said that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the help that it gives us. We thank you, Father God, that it will produce for us and for others. Because we, O oh Father, will sow what we have learned tonight through the revelation of your Holy Spirit with others. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen.